0: Hello and welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, the healthcare podcast where we talk everything value-based care with the top experts in the field.
1: All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unlocking Accountable Care. I'm your host, Sarah Bliss Matusik, a principal at Day Health Strategies, and I'm sitting down today with Lizette Roman, a consultant with our firm. Today, we're going to be talking about the potential role of communities in Medicaid accountable care. Um, Now, in the past, we've largely focused on formal accountable care organizations in the context of Massachusetts and Medicaid. But today, we're going to take a step back, and we're excited to be thinking through what potential roles communities can play in providing good quality health care to a population, but also controlling the cost of that care. Exactly. So, Sarah,
2: shortly we will hear my conversation with Fred Goldstein. Um, Fred is the founder and president of Accountable Health LLC. Um, Fred is hard to describe. You'll hear why shortly. But basically, he's a population health executive is what I've started to call him. Um, Fun fact, one of Fred's claims to fame is that he was responsible for the inclusion of the annual Medicare wellness visit in the Affordable Care Act. Pretty interesting, right? Um, more on that and some other, you know, kind of federal policy tidbits for all of our listeners um, who uh, are self-described policy wonks. Um, more on that in a minute, but first, let's talk a little bit about this concept of a role for communities in Medicaid accountable care.
1: Yes, we know that, as Fred says, only about twenty-five percent of an individual's health is due to the healthcare system itself. And you'll hear slightly different percentages depending on the source, but that's you know, typically within the range. Uh, we know that what's more important or at least more impactful is where you live, how you live, and then what resources you have access to. Uh, this should you know probably make common sense. So it would also make sense that the community should or could have a role in the whole notion of care healthcare and what i mean when i say healthcare is you know traditional
2: healthcare provider organizations payers um, healthcare has not put a ton of funding into community based interventions we've okay we've definitely seen an increased push um, for care to happen in the community to a degree you know i'm thinking of in the massachusetts medicaid program how acos are required to partner with um, community uh, based organizations to provide care management care coordination um, for some of their highest risk patients in the acos so there is a push for community-based care but what fred will talk to us about is something Different. Um, he's talking about actually creating an incentive system where savings from the healthcare system are funneled back into the community, and the community decides how to make investments. You know, do we need better sidewalks? Do we need more green spaces? Um, do we need to regulate that power plant down the street that contaminates our air and leads to a lot of our children having
1: asthma? Um, that's that's really what Fred is going to be talking about. You're right. It really just hasn't been happening, but it's been given some lip service. Uh, So Fred actually recounts an example of a community member standing up during a town hall style meeting with a healthcare organization. And I'll quote him. He said, listen, I've lived in this community my whole life and nothing has changed for 50 years. You talk about all these things. You say we need to exercise. You say we need to eat healthy, yet we have no sidewalks. The nearest gym is over three miles away, and we have no transportation and no healthy foods. So I, partic- you know, particularly, I'm pretty interested to hear what Fred proposes as a solution, and then maybe we can talk about how Medicaid risk-bearing provider organizations can potentially fit into all this. Like, for example, how can they decide how much to invest in communities versus serving in more individual-level health-related needs, which is you know something that we know is happening now. Right. Right.
2: Yeah, I think we should cover that. Um, But just before we do go to my conversation with Fred, one housekeeping note for um, our listeners. So you'll hear me mention hymns um, HIMSS is the Healthcare Information and Management System Society. I use that uh, abbreviation when I talk to Fred. Uh, I use it as shorthand for the, uh, the HIMSS 2019 conference. Um, HIMSS is a global nonprofit organization focused on better health through IT. Um, and this conference is the leading conference in the world, bringing together something like 50,000 people a year. Um, it's, it's a bit of a zoo. Um, anyway, that, that point aside, without further delay, here's my conversation with Fred. All right, so hello, and let me introduce Fred Goldstein to our audience. Fred is an expert um, in population health, care management risk management, health IT, health system design, um, and that's not an, um, an exhaustive list. Um, Fred is the founder and president of Accountable Health LLC. Um, he's no stranger to Medicaid programs or managed care uh, based on his 30, um, 30 plus years of experience in the industry, um, doing everything from founding a disease management company that provided services to state Medicaid programs, to operating an HMO that was ranked uh, the highest quality Medicaid health plan in Florida at one time. Um, Listeners already uh, may be familiar with Fred through his popular weekly podcast, Pop Health Week, Um, but Fred is also an influencer in federal healthcare policy, which we'll hear about more today. Um, Fred was directly responsible for the inclusion of the Medicare Annual Wellness Visit and the Affordable Care Act, and as we'll talk about in a couple minutes, uh, he helped to develop a piece of legislation aimed at creating incentives for communities to improve the health outcomes in their own neighborhoods. Um, This piece of legislation is called the Community Health Improvement Leadership and Development Act, or the CHILD Act, which is much easier for me to remember. Um, That's the CHILD Act of 2019 for Medicaid. So today, Fred's here to talk to us about accountable care and Medicaid from his perspective. Fred, we're so pleased to talk to you today. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: So, Fred, clearly you are an expert in several things. Popula- population health care management, health system design, Medicaid. Um, how did you develop your areas of expertise? Um, love for listeners to understand a little bit about your really your professional journey.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know if I would classify myself as an expert, but thank you very much for that. The um, the my journey started out as a typical per- person in healthcare back in the. Um, uh, mid 80s, in which I went and got a master's in healthcare administration. And the idea originally was to be a hospital executive. And at Trinity, where I went, they turned out a lot of hospital executives, they still turn out a lot of hospital executives. And so I started out my first about nine years running hospitals. I ran general med surge hospitals, and then I switched and I ran psychiatric hospitals, which was really interesting to get into the whole behavioral side of, of this and and understand that as well, which, which comes together sort of later in my career. I then um, had an opportunity to leave the hospital side of the industry, and I went in and uh, ran a Medicaid health plan that had just started back in the mid-90s when Medicaid uh, health plans really took off. And that was a, a fantastic experience, um, understanding the other side of the business. At that time, it was called the dark side of the business, I guess. And um, from there, I, I had a crazy idea one day that maybe we should do a Medicaid HMO for HIV AIDS patients. And it had been done in California. So I introduced that to, concept to the state of Florida. They, they liked it and actually put in legislation to do that. And I was gearing up to try to open a health plan, and suddenly they called me one day and said, Fred, we pulled the legislation, but in its place, we're going to do disease management. So I set up a chronic disease management company and started out doing doing uh, some work with that and then expanded that out and ended up over a period of about 10 years doing 10 state Medicaid programs around the country, either directly contracting through my company or in partnership with another company, with McKesson actually, who had a big call center. And I did the on the ground community-based work, a lot of really new stuff. So we did the first program for persons with schizophrenia in Medicaid, a chronic disease management program. We did high-risk maternity in the Mississippi Delta, where one out of four babies were being born preterm. We hired the first certified promotorus in the state of Texas uh, when we were doing a program there. And through that, I really learned about you know, behavior change. And I got to understand if you can do this kind of stuff in Medicaid, you could probably do it in the commercial world. And we did have some commercial contracts. Um, went from there to merging that company in and got into employer-based wellness as part of that and building IT systems and platforms and mobile apps. And for the last six years, I've really been consulting in, in this broader spectrum of what's called population health, bringing together the hospital system I learned earlier and that concepts, the health plan concepts, how do you manage risk, how do you change behavior, and sort of interact in that whole area where the interplay is on that, which has now led to where this country is beginning to recognize there's a lot of work to do, Um, a lot of it's out in the community, and we can probably get a bunch of this done if we implement appropriate population health programs.
2: Wow! Great. Thank, thank you for that. Um, I, we might have to have a couple other episodes with you, um, but for today, so you you mentioned community. Um, this podcast, you know, we're really focusing on accountable care organizations who by. Definition: these organizations are trying to control cost while ensuring that the care they deliver uh, for patients is still high quality and that um, patients are, are seeing good outcomes uh, based on the care they receive. But you've done some thinking about the role of communities in reducing the cost of healthcare delivery, um, again, in the form of some federal legislation, which I hope you can uh, say a little more about. Um, but can, can you talk to us about this? What What is the potential role for communities and what needs to happen at the policy level to help communities actually reach that potential?
0: Sure. So this is a, a, a really fascinating area and it, it's it's something that other people have done a lot of research in and, and the numbers now show as we all hear that, you know, perhaps 20, maybe 25 percent of your health or the health of a community is based upon the healthcare system itself, the hospitals, the doctors, what they're doing. But much more of it is based on where you live, how you live, what you have access to. And so this has created an understanding that if we really want to improve the health of communities and take a swipe at, at getting rid of this or 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 seeking to shrink this $3.2 trillion industry, which where costs keep going up and up, one, we need to move upstream. And two, as we move upstream into these more preventive and other types of programs, we need to recognize that those are actually probably community based issues. So, as an example, of this David Nash at Jefferson has discussed this as of others in Philadelphia five major medical schools, you're right there, great medical facilities. You know, you've got Jefferson, you've got Penn, you have the other three. Yet that community, that county, has the lowest health status of any county in the state of Pennsylvania. Because they have pockets where people don't have safe places to work, or don't, ha- or, or safe places to exercise, or access to food, or transportation. And those issues are really the underlying cause of these social. These are these social determinants of health. I was just at a meeting here in Jacksonville uh, around one of these initiatives, and at, at the end of it, and they were trying to put some unique little programs in here and there. One of the individuals stood up. He said, "Listen, I've lived in this community for f- forever, my life." and nothing has changed in 50 years. You talk about all these things, you say we need to exercise, you say we need to eat healthy, yet we have no sidewalks, the nearest gym is three plus miles away, we have no transportation, we have no healthy foods. And so this idea of community and how you then fix that is an interesting one and it creates kind of an interesting dynamic right now. The healthcare systems themselves are running after this. We're gonna go fix these issues. That's noble, I like the concept, but I don't know that necessarily they're the right people to fix these issues. Those issues require different sets of expertise. You know, if you're putting in sidewalks, is that the responsibility of a healthcare system? Um, But it is the responsibility of the community, and so what I would like to see happen over time is the healthcare systems focus on taking out the 30% of waste that we know exists in the system and use those dollars to fund up these others. So if you think about the need for communities to improve the health of of their community, there's there's currently no incentive for them to do that. And what I mean by that is, let's say you create a healthier community. Who's going to benefit? Yes, we all feel healthier, we're healthier. But the benefit of financially accrues to either the payer, who doesn't pay for the claims, or to the hospital or healthcare system who has an arrangement that they benefit when people get healthier. But the community itself doesn't get that financial benefit from the work they do. So over the past couple of years, a group of us have been looking at different concepts and one that we now have in Congress is Community Health uh, Improvement Leadership and Development Act or the Child Act of 2019, specifically seeks to address that by having HHS create and release all of the data they have for the communities. It can be their Medicaid claims data, social determinants data, et cetera. The states will take that data with a grant and create dashboards. So for example, the dashboard might say, here's Jacksonville, here's the top 20 uh, costliest conditions we have in Medicaid in Jacksonville. If the community puts together a program and there's some grant funding for that, then that program would then measure their results and let's say those results created a reduction in the costs of the diabetes care in that community. They got people healthier, they're out walking, they were exercising, they're getting better food to them, helping them better monitor their medications, whatever that was. Then 70% of the savings would be, be directed to a community shared savings account, which would be overseen by a local board. And the local board could then take those funds that they've helped to create and do more to improve the health of that community. In essence, lift the community up by funding it off the savings through the healthcare system.
2: Wow, that that's fascinating. I mean, you know, this question is is so important and um, to some extent so fundamental, right? How upstream should ACOs go to addressing social determinants? Um, how does their role compare to that of communities? Um, that's that's fascinating, and we'll certainly keep an eye out on that bill as it's introduced this year. Um, so awesome to hear all of these things happening at the federal level, um, you know, g- great ideas, um, things that might be coming down the pipeline. Um, but just to dive back down um, for a little bit, um, back into kind of the, the market, the industry Um, So you're also out there, um, you know, using Accountable Health um, um, and all the connections that you have um, and very active on the healthcare industry conference circuit. You're pulling insights from all different types of organizations, right? Payers, providers, vendors, everything in between. Um, For example, recently you were at HIMSS 2019. So what are you hearing out there as the future of population health? You know, as somebody who's... To whom this term is nothing new um what what are those organizations um those companies banking on as the future of population health and what do you see as the future of population health
0: so um the what what there are a number of converging areas right now. One is obviously this, this recognition of community, and you're beginning to see these community-based programs um, or integrations. How do we, you know, Kaiser supplying food to individuals or Medicare now allowing you to prescribe things like food. Um, and so you have that coming through from both a policy and a recognition idea that we need to focus on communities. At the same time, to do that, all these vendors at Hims need to say, well, what data do you need from a social determinants of health standpoint? How do we take that data and make it actionable? Um, how do we risk stratify an individual using some of that data? So all of that is beginning to get integrated. And then the last two pieces that I think are, are critical to, to watch is there's been this ongoing debate well, we don't need population health, we're going to do precision medicine. We're going to know exactly what that person needs because we're going to get down to their genome and their biomics, et cetera, and really know them. And, and in reality, precision medicine is a subset of population health because within population health, you have to identify, assess, and stratify your population who's higher risk, who's lower risk, so you put appropriate resources to them. What precision medicine brings to population health is a much more concise and predictive assessment tool. It allows essentially to ultimately get that goal of an N of one, what do we absolutely need to do to impact the health of this individual? And so I think you're beginning to see a recognition that these aren't two different approaches, but they actually can be merged together. And then the last piece that I think is, is really going to be critical is, how do we ultimately change the behavior of the individual? And again, I think through the use of big data and analytics, Amazon and eBay and the rest of them, they can get us to buy things. They know how to make us buy things by understanding our behavior. Facebook knows how to get us back up on that site and create an addictive, in a sense, experience, getting back this behavioral health issue. Well, we need to take that armada of tools, that armament of tools that they've developed and say, if we can get people to come back on here and click, why can't we take that same tool and get them to go out and walk or get them to eat healthier or to visit their doctor or get a flu shot, all of those things. So I think that's the other neat thing that's to be watched is how we create a better environment for the ultimate engagement of individuals into a healthier lifestyle. So, you know, Hims brought together a lot of companies that cover a lot of data and analytics. Obviously, population health is well beyond data and analytics. It's also how do you deliver this? How do you put communities in this? How do you put people out in the communities? How do you change behavior? But those are the things that really excite me as I look at where we're going. And I think those are the key areas to watch over the next five years to see how much progress we can make in each of those to bring together a population health program and ultimately begin to turn the trend in this country, both from a quality and a cost perspective.
2: Well, great. We'll certainly keep that on our short list of things to watch. Um, Fred, just want to say thanks so much for for joining us today. Um, and to our listeners, uh, make sure to go check out Accountable Health, um, as well as Fred's podcast, Pop Health Week.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Okay, Lisa, that was great. Fred is kind of a unicorn with his industry and policy knowledge, don't you think? (laughs) Total unicorn.
2: Yes, Fred is an expert in population health, even if he doesn't like using that word himself. Um, But he brings up this hard question, where should ACOs
1: focus in terms of community interventions? Right, and Fred described community interventions interventions as upstream interventions. And I like to use the stream analogy too, you know, where we think about upstream interventions, including efforts to improve the underlying social and economic conditions in communities to really foster improved health for all, you know, think about laws and policies that affect the health of everyone versus midstream interventions, which are really about mediating patients' individual social needs. So, you know providing for those social needs through things like housing and food access and providing direct support to meet those needs at a very individual level. And healthcare organizations, we as we think about them today really find themselves downstream for the most part because their hands have been tied based on the way that healthcare has been paid for or financed. So most clinicians and healthcare workers could tell you that their patients actually need to be healthy or better manage their diabetes or what have you but they're really their hands have been tied by the definition of their job and what counts as within the scope of healthcare so even if they know they need some other thing that's outside of the scope of healthcare they can't provide that thing for them even though they know it will you know come back around and actually improve the health it's almost like you know you want to give a prescription for something that will improve their diabetes but you can't give that prescription because it's out of your jurisdiction Um, But I'm happy to say that's changed in many places, so including, you know, Massachusetts Medicaid, which we've been talking a lot about through this podcast. Um, So through their Accountable Care Organization program, you know, they're able to now start doing things like that. Um, And I still think that ACOs can get at community level interventions and really are a good vehicle for doing that if they're willing to screen and identify patients so that they can identify geographic areas, you know, neighborhoods, where it would make sense for the organization to invest in those types of things. Right, and you know, you're know, you talking
2: about screening, identifying patients. You know, when you're doing that, you're collecting data. Um, that same data, screening and assessing the specific health-related needs, um, can help organizations come up with a starter list of possible investments. Organizations, you know, they should really consider taking that starter list and actually asking the patients that live in the neighborhoods what they need. Um, You know, this is kind of a basic concept, but it's one that we don't do enough is to go out (laughs) to the folks um, who we're trying to help and ask them what do you need. So with that, I'm just going to thank our our listeners and wrap up another episode of Accountable Care.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: If you are interested in learning more about accountable care or how organizations can succeed in today's healthcare system, please visit our website, www.dayhealthstrategies.com. Check out our blog, follow us on Twitter, and join our mailing list. We regularly post content relevant to current healthcare issues and overcoming challenges in delivering value-based care. Unlocking Accountable Care is a production of Day Health Strategies. Direction and editing by Max Blumenthal. Additional support and research by Emily Eibel and Nico Lehman. Our producer is Rosemary Day. Special thanks to Purple Planet Music for the use of their songs.